when we very clearly do not. 93.3 and AM 560. KWTO. I'm the son of a good man. I'm the child of an angel. I'm the brother of a wild one. And I'm looking for direction. News analysis and opinion. It's the Elijah Har Show on 93.3 and AM 560. KWTO. And welcome back. It's Jennifer Bukowski filling in for Elijah Har. My law school, went to law school with Elijah, and it's the first time I'm filling in for him. It's great to be here with you, Springfield. Some of you might know me from the Gary Nolan Show. I'm on every Tuesday from 10.30 to 11.30, and I sometimes um, fill in as his backup host as well. Uh, we're waiting on a call from Will Sharp. He's scheduled to talk to us. Will, I've known him. He and I actually were on Governor Gordon's transition team together, and so I've known him for since, what, 2016? So I, I'm going on, it'll be seven and a half years or so. Super smart guy. Can't wait to hear his thoughts on many different things, but I will tell you one beef I have with Will is that he's always been Mr. Law and Order Prosecutor, and I've got a criminal defense background, so I'm reading the news the other day, and who should have one of the coolest criminal defense attorney stories that I, of a person I know, uh, ever? Will Sharp is a criminal defense attorney for Donald J. Trump right now, and he was at a hearing, a big hearing, and the DC case, which is one of the four criminal indictment, four criminal cases Trump is facing involving, um, the election and J6 and all that. And, uh, they are seeking to get that case kicked, saying that Trump is immune from at least most, if not all of the, um, counts. And what happens during that hearing? Uh, John Sauer, they've got a trio of awesome Missouri attorneys handling things at the appellate level for the, Trump legal team. Uh, they've gotten great results on the gag orders, and then they've been litigating this motion and, and appealing it, so that will get this ridiculous trial date that they had scheduled right for the day after Super Tuesday to keep Trump in the courtroom for like months at a time. This will postpone that trial, but that's being appealed. But guess who is talking to Will Sharp throughout the hearing? Donald Trump, his client. I'm like, how is it that you get such a cool criminal defense attorney story when you're Mr. Law and Order Prosecutor, Will Sharp. I I don't know how to explain that one, but I was trying not to be jelly of him, and I guess he joins us now. Will, welcome to the show, my fellow criminal defense attorney friend. <laughs> great, to, great to be with you, Jen. Thanks so much for having me on, and always great to be joining the Elijah Hart Show on KWTO. Yeah, it's good. There's so much to talk about. Uh, as I was mentioning, you're helping Trump in particular on the a D.C. federal criminal indictment with the immunity claim. Tell us about what's the status of the appeal and the motion of the denial of the motion for Trump to have immunity. Like, why is that? Um, why is that appeal important? And uh, what would it do if you you succeed on it? So, look, we think that if a president doesn't have presidential criminal immunity for his official acts in office, for acts that fall, the legal term is within the outer perimeter of his presidential responsibilities, that you just don't have a presidency anymore. If a president can be hailed into court by any prosecutor anywhere in the country after their term ends and face criminal liability uh, for their official acts in office without first being impeached and convicted by the House and Senate, as the Constitution sets out, uh, that sets up a situation of just complete immobility on the part of every presidency. 
if a president has to think about whether he's going to be criminally prosecuted before he, you know, for example, orders the military to kill a terrorist uh, or before he takes really any act in office, uh, it's just it's a recipe for disaster. And that's the dangerous Pandora's box that the Biden administration has opened here uh, by attempting this uh, unprecedented campaign of lawfare against President Trump. Uh, but as you said in the in the lead up to this, the, their original plan was to have President Trump sitting on trial in March. The trial was scheduled for the day before Super Tuesday uh, in the D.C. federal prosecution. We've successfully gotten that trial date stayed. It stayed indefinitely pending final resolution of this presidential immunity issue, which could be many, many months from now. At the very least, I think that we've successfully interrupted this unprecedented campaign of election interference being waged against President Trump by the Biden administration. To play devil's advocate with you on this presidential immunity claim, I've heard arguments made on the left like, well, what they're arguing is basically that Biden can say, like, go burglarize this place or go take all Trump's, you know, records and just say, well, I have presidential immunity for everything I do while I'm president. So if I'm ordering people to commit crimes, like, where do you draw that line between official acts in office and criminal conduct? Are you saying that a president can't commit a crime? A president can't commit any crime. I mean, uh, Biden couldn't call a hitman and have him, you know, go kill somebody. That would be a private act, not a presidential act. Uh, if the president orders the military to do something illegal, there's a process uh, that that goes into that that could ultimately lead to you know that order being rejected, and that it could lead to the president being impeached and convicted. But the Constitution lays out a system. Uh, and this, you know, our case law on this goes back to Marbury v. Madison in terms of the reviewability of presidential decisions uh, in the very early days of the republic. The system is that for a president to be held legally liable for his official acts, for him to be held criminally liable, you first have to go through the hoops outlined by the Constitution, which in this case is impeachment and conviction uh, by the House and Senate. That's the political check. Uh, that's the process. And the Biden administration, in their haste to get Trump, is running roughshod over the very careful separation of powers uh, set out in our Constitution. Um, the, the Democrats have this parade of horribles of, you know, presidents shouldn't have immunity because of X, Y, and Z. Uh, that parade of horribles, though, hasn't come to pass in the 200-plus years that we've had a constitutional republic uh, where presidents have been uh, immune, where no president has ever before been prosecuted uh, for, for presidential acts in office. So it's uh, it's we're on dangerous terrain. It's an honor mm -hmm. to be fighting back against what they're doing. And uh, and I think ultimately we're going to prevail. You know, I I hope so. And I will say and I'm consistent on this issue when the crowd would chant lock her up when I saw Trump at various events before and while he was president. I never chanted that he never when I was there started that chant and he didn't lock Hillary up, even though. She had conduct that may have, may have made her eligible to do that because that is a banana republic move, but the, that is not beneath the Democrats to make us into a banana republic with all of these different cases. There's four criminal cases plus two civil ones, and they're removing them from the ballots. The, the law of warfare is uh, enough to keep a lot of lawyers busy. Um, I, I hope that uh, that one prevails. At least the trial will be postponed. And that, and that one, if he were to win the presidency, he could 
um, not have to go to jail because he could pardon himself, I believe. But the well, one that people uh, go ahead. What and is, and in, addition, in addition to that, in that D.C. case, two of the four charges are directly implicated by a January 6th case that the Supreme Court has agreed to take up mm-hmm. the Fisher case. By this June, half of the indictment against President Trump uh, in that D.C. prosecution could be null and void anyway. What do you think um, so the likelihood is of the J6 defendant prevailing on that case that the Supreme Court took up? I think it's quite high. Uh, there was a, a very strong dissent in that case in the D.C. Circuit uh, from Judge Katsas. Um, basically, the issue there, uh, the, the DOJ took a statute, it's called 1512C2, that was really designed for sort of document destruction type crimes uh, that obstructed a, an official proceeding. And they've interpreted it so widely uh, that even ordinary lobbying or political protests or any number of other things uh, could now potentially be a federal felony. The Supreme Court, as you know, as a defense lawyer in recent years, has been very, very skeptical about wide definitions of vaguely worded federal mm-hmm. statutes, of residual clauses, of all kinds of things like that. Not uh, skeptical enough, but... <laughs> well, that's uh, probably a point of disagreement between you and me. But on this, we can agree uh, that, that what's happened with these January 6 cases is just outrageous. And I think the Supreme Court rightfully is going to do the right thing here. Uh, now, the implications for President Trump's case are significant. Um, but it, just in general, when you look at the, you know, you mentioned it before, that this massive scope of prosecutorial actions and civil actions against President Trump, I think in the last month, the tide has really turned and we're winning. Uh, the Georgia prosecution is now collapsing because of the corrupt actions uh, of the Fulton County DA, Fannie Willis, who was paying her secret boyfriend a million dollars in taxpayer funds to prosecute Trump. Uh, the New York criminal case is collapsing because it relies on a known liar, Michael Cohen, as its key witness. Uh, the, the Florida documents case isn't moving because you have a fair judge there who's insisting on normal rules of procedure and doesn't appear likely to just railroad President Trump. And then in D.C., We've got this thing tied up, and I think we have very strong arguments on presidential immunity. So the left campaign is failing. We're winning, and there's a lot, a, a lot of reason for hope right now. If you're just joining us, this is Jennifer Bukowski filling in for Elijah Har, and joined by Will Sharp, a friend of the show, a friend of mine, Missouri Attorney General candidate, and Trump appellate lawyer. I'm glad you brought up the Georgia Rico case and Fannie Willis will because. I've been thinking about this situation, and while it's a bad look and a possible ethics violation that she's hired her alleged paramour as a special prosecutor, even though he's not qualified, and paid him a lot of money, I don't know if that makes the case go away. Like, I don't even know if it's enough to disqualify her from her office from, I mean, she already has special prosecutors on it. So how exactly does that make the case collapse and not proceed? Well, for one thing, I think Fannie Willis faces real criminal liability here. And what and what she, crime? It, what crime would it be it, to hire a paramour a, as a special prosecutor? On a services fraud, uh, potentially federal bribery. What was the understanding between her and this guy uh, when she hired him and started directing taxpayer funds to him? It's also worth noting that the Georgia on a services case, fraud is it like is that a federal? That's a, a federal felony offense relating to 
uh, depriving the people of the honest services of a governmental office. If you misuse your governmental office for personal benefit. Even uh, a state office? Yeah, absolutely. For personal benefit, huh? For personal benefit. If she was hiring this guy because he was lavishing her with vacations and gifts, as is alleged in in the motion filed by by Trump co-defendant Mike Roman, uh, that's very, very serious. President Trump said the other week that Fannie Willis may be in more criminal jeopardy uh, than President Trump or any of the other Georgia defendants. And I think he may be right. They're in front of a very good judge down there, a no-nonsense conservative judge. And I think this whole thing, I don't know if the whole case goes away, but it's... uh, there are definitely heads are going to roll on the back of this. It's crazy. And it's worth noting, that Nathan, Jen, Nathan Wade, the special counsel that Fannie Willis hired to prosecute this case on November 18th, 2022, he billed the taxpayers for eight hours of his time that he spent in the Biden White House counsel's office. Do you know what else happened on November 18th, 2022? No, what? That was the day that Jack Smith was appointed special counsel by Merrick Garland. Oh, wow. President Trump talks about a far-reaching conspiracy to interfere with his ability to run for office. This is what we're talking about. The whole thing reeks. I think these cases, you know, the day that they rolled out the indictments, the media covered them breathlessly and said, this is the end of President Trump. Everything that we've seen since then is that these cases aren't worth the paper that they're printed on. And I think ultimately the truth is going to prevail. Well, the New York one with the hush money accounting errors, alleged accounting errors, is always a joke. Um, But the Georgia RICO case was the one that I think a lot of people were more concerned about, given how vague this Georgia RICO statute is. I'm glad we don't have something like this in Missouri. But um, I don't know, Will, if it's enough just hiring a guy that you're romantically involved with who is a lawyer as a special prosecutor, if that's enough to... Make her. They went on a couple of trips. Like I've, I'm not. I can't believe I'm sitting here defending Fannie Willis. But it's not like I can't believe he got a house. She went to Napa. She went to. She went to Napa and she went like one other place. It's not like she personally got the six hundred thousand dollars. And he, I, I guess conceivably was working per hour, earning the money. So I don't know that. We, I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves with thinking that that is enough to make the whole case go away in Georgia. If, if Fannie Willis hired Nathan Wade on the understanding that the money that she was paying him in some sense would come back to her, Fannie Willis is in very serious trouble. The fact that this relationship wasn't disclosed, the fact that this relationship may You think the Biden Department of Justice is really going to go after her for honest services fraud? Give me a break. I, th- I think the Trump Department of Justice might, and at the very least, I think this raises serious questions by, about the viability of that prosecution. And again, it's all tied together. It's all part of a much bigger scheme. And I think that each chip in the wall that we make, each new revelation that comes out, weakens all of these cases against President Trump and makes them look much more like what they are, which is a deliberate political campaign, not properly founded legal actions. Now, I was a prosecutor. I take prosecution very, very seriously. We were always taught that, you know, prosecutions are never supposed to be political. They're never even supposed to look political. These prosecutions all reek of politics. If President Trump weren't running, he never would have been indicted in the first place. This is all a deliberate attempt to interfere with his ability to campaign. And I'm thankful that the truth is coming to light, and I'm thankful that we're winning. Okay. Before I let you go, well, uh, 
I wanted to ask you, I just saw you tweeted about the chaos that's happening down in the Missouri legislature with the Senate today. Uh, what Do you have any quick thoughts for us on uh, Caleb Braden removing certain senators from their committees and appointing others? And uh, You were a governor's legislative director. Have you ever seen anything like this before? And what are your thoughts on how do they get their act together and get anything accomplished this session? Yeah, look, let's tease this out a little bit. What happened here is that conservative members of the Missouri Senate wanted leadership to move immediately to pass initiative petition reform. This is a major, major priority for conservative grassroots. Mm -hmm. All the Republicans in the Senate pay lip service to it. They said, let's bring this to the floor. Let's vote on this thing now. And Caleb Radden and leadership wouldn't do it. So instead, they tried to bring to the floor a bunch of gubernatorial appointments. But didn't didn't they want it to go to committee to be have public input and stuff like that? Because it would be unusual to go straight to the floor. This is something that was debated ad nauseum last year. That's true. Everyone in the Senate is familiar with the provisions. Hmm. This isn't new material. You always hear about new material in, in, in the Capitol. This is not new material. This is something that they all know. They could just pass out the bill they passed out last year. It's the same bill. They already got all the public input on it last year. That's true. This is a major priority for conservatives in the state. I don't know why Caleb Rowden is so intransigent on this issue. I think the conservatives are right, even if you you can say whatever you want about their tactics. On the underlying issue, they are 100% right. And I think the fact that Caleb is now stripping them of committees and parking spots. The parking spots, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's, it's petty Jefferson City politics at its absolute worst. Do you want an initi- initiative petition done or not? If you want it done, take it up, pass it out, send it over to the House, get it on the governor's desk and get it done. I don't understand why they're so concerned with these like weird procedural points and you know, so-called traditions that they're missing the forest for the trees. We need to get conservative policy done in this state. I agree. And this obs- the obstructionism isn't on the part of the conservatives. The obstructionism here is on the part of leadership. I don't know. I could see uh, arguments for obstruction on both sides when you're reading a book on a Thursday night in January on the floor um, to make an objection. I don't know. I have friends with both people on both sides of this one, and I'm not sure how it'll shake out, but I hope they can put their egos aside and figure out how to get things done and do their jobs this session. Well, they wouldn't be reading books if Caleb would just bring IP reform to the floor. Why is Caleb so so reluctant to bring IP reform to the floor? There's no reason not to just take this thing up and vote on it. You know, there's ample precedent for that. Frankly, in, in, in 2017, when we passed out right to work, that was a bill everybody was familiar with. It moved in like a week and a half. We got it to the floor. We passed it. The governor signed it. It ended up getting voted down by the people of Missouri. But in terms of process, yeah, it got past we're talking Maybe so that they can't do an initiative petition to undo it like they did with right to work. Could that be a reason not to bring it to the floor now? Initiative petition reform is an absolutely essential policy. I think it makes a ton of sense to get this done as quickly as possible. You know that there's going to be an issue with the House and the Senate and the governor and getting everybody on the same page. Get the thing done. The people of Missouri want it. Conservatives in Missouri want it. Just get it done. Well, Will, to be fair, with Right to Work, we got that done really quick in 2017. And then the, they were able to undo it with the initiative petition. Is that a concern here that they'll, if we pass an initiative petition reform too soon, that they'll just undo it by putting it on the ballot? 
No, because IRT reform has to go on the ballot anyway. Oh, that's true. They both would. Yeah, it's not yeah, no, it's statutory like right anyway. to work. Huh. Yeah, no, there's, there's, there's no well, argument along those lines here because it's going on the ballot anyway. Well, Caleb Brown's my senator, so I will ask him that very good question of why, why didn't he want it to go to the floor and hear what he has to say. Will, as always, great to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Elijah Har Show. Great to be with you, Jen. Thanks so much. Take care. And don't go away, folks. We have this crazy story about the Florida GOP chair. He's been cleared of rape, but now he might be charged with voyeurism. That and the love fest in New Hampshire on the stage last night with Trump. That's how we'll wrap up the show. It's Jennifer Bukowski in for Elijah Har on KWTO.